uh, I had a hobby too. Mine happened to be guns and ballistics. And I studied guns and ballistics as much as I could, and I wrote an article about high velocity. So out of all my years working at Weatherby, the last five have been some of the most exciting. Working with Adam, with him running the company. And to think that I get the opportunity of carrying on my grandfather's legacy 75 years later here in Sheridan, Wyoming, I mean, it really is a dream come true. On our mark, the Weatherby Podcast. On our mark, the Weatherby Podcast. Um, I'm Luke Torkelson, the Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Product Development here at Weatherby. And um, I'm here with our new marketing manager. And I realized I said his last (laughs) name wrong the other day, and I feel really bad. Uh, but Tyler, will you say your last name properly? My last name is Grayton. So Luke called me Grethen. Really, you know, welcome to me into the podcast studio. I did such a bad <laughs> job. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm I excited. I mean, so, I mean, in fairness, it is G-R-E-T-H-E-N. Yeah, there is no A in that name at all. Okay. So, I, so not I mean, really your fault. I I'm not trying to be defensive, but I'll, maybe a little. And I'm, I'm sure in some onboarding night. Describe my name as Grethen because no one can spell it. If you say Grayton, then you got to be like, well, then it's yeah it sounds like Grethen. But yeah. I just read it in my head as Grethen, and that's what it became. And yeah. uh, I blame Curtis. Yes, blame Curtis. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis is a mutual friend, a really good friend of mine that I worked together with years ago. And um, Tyler came from AOB and worked with Curtis there. Yeah, got so. to work with him for a couple of years. Yeah, it's always good when there's a mutual connection then. He was a good reference, so it's yeah. awesome. So. Well, today, the, the topic of today is you were lucky enough to win an Ibex hunt, Yeah, correct? Yeah, it's a pretty crazy situation. A little less than a month ago, and now we're back. So, Yeah, um, it, it's, it's kind of a long story, it was, it, and a bit of a crazy story, and uh, maybe you can help me unpack this a little bit here, but... Uh, Got to rewind quite a ways. Yeah, let's start way back because you, there's the winning of the hunt, there is COVID, mm-hmm. and then there is going on the hunt. So there's kind of like three different segments. Yeah, so this. let's let's go back to 2020, January of 2020. Just before SHOT Show, there is a show for the Wild Sheep Foundation that they call Sheep Week. Yeah, it's a whole week, right? So it's, yeah. it's a whole week of just uh, of, of everything sheep. Yeah, and this was an in-person one because the last two years it's been kind of a virtual deal, yeah, right? That, yeah, COVID kind of started with them doing a hybrid in-person. Well, 2021 uh, was 100% virtual, and then 22 was a hybrid. Hybrid, yeah. Okay. So pre-COVID, <laughs> everything's normal. Gas is still cheap. Everything's great. <laughs> um, January, I'm at Sheep Week. Uh, we've got, we, you know, we're just there as exhibitors. You know, we've got the backcountry rifle. We had launched that in September. Sorry. Yeah. September of 2019. We we're pumped. We've got the ultimate sheep rifle. We're talking to people <laughs> at sheep week for the first time now, January of 2020. People are loving this rifle. We had launched it with our six, five RPM, just spent a day talking to everybody about that. It was, a, it was a great time. I think that Wild Sheep Foundation does one of the coolest things in all of the hunting conservation shows, if you will. They have a thing called Less Than One Club. It is kind of like a show 
by itself, an event, let's call it, an event in itself inside of the show. So it's an afternoon uh, where it's just a big, it's a party. And it's a party for everybody that have not yet shot a sheep. So if you have shot a sheep before, you're not eligible. You can come. You can come, but you you're not come, eligible. But you cannot win. You cannot so, win. Okay. So it is a really, really fun event where if you have shot less than one sheep, or, or no sheep would or be an easier way to sheep. say it. But so, it's so the a, majority it's of people. Correct. Yeah. Because, it, let's be honest, it, sheep hunting is, is not necessarily like going and shooting an antelope. It's a little bit different. Like yeah. there's far, far, far less of them on the mountain. They're not a super resilient species in general, especially Fanaz, the four North American wild sheep. Um, so it's totally a different animal. But I think... Wild Sheep Foundation recognizes that. And so to get other people or people that may not normally have a chance to sheep hunt into this, the game, they do this less than one club. So it's $35 raffle ticket. And you there's one, two. So you there's, there's actually two. They have less than one, which is for North American. So uh, basically you've never shot a bighorn, a doll, a stones, or a desert sheep. And then there's also a less than one eye or international. And that's, you've never shot an international sheep or Ibex in that gotcha. uh, category. I was in both. So you had a ticket in yes. both buckets. Correct. And you only get one ticket in each bucket or could you buy multiple? Correct. So your question is actually really good because I was <laughs> slightly confused. I bought multiple, but as we were talking and we're in the show I, for some reason, in my mind, thought I was only in the North American, not the international. So they first do the um, North American. I can't remember if they did international or North American. It doesn't really matter. Anyway, they, the raffle is a blast because if you've ever been at a live raffle where they pick a number and they just wait forever, like, uh, is, is John Doe here? <laughs> and then all the energy goes out of the room while you're waiting for John Doe to either come back for the bathroom or he just like went home. That is not this one. What happens is Gray Thornton from Wild Sheep, the president of Wild Sheep Foundation, is awesome. He's like, John Doe going once, twice, sucks to be John Doe. <laughs> and like throws the so name out. Gotta be in the room, ready to go. Ready to roll. Okay. Ready to roll. And it, it's like you, you, it's, there's tons of energy in the room. Like people that haven't shot a sheep and people that have are in there that are there just to support because it's such a fun place to be. Everybody's got a beer. It's a great time. So there's three hunts for each. Okay. So you North have... American and international. So how many people are in this room though? So like you're looking That's at... a great question. I feel like I'm going to blow this number out, but I, let, let me say that there's a, a thousand people in the room. Thousand people in the room. Yeah. And there's no cap on tickets. So in and, theory. And maybe, so um, I want to say that I asked the year that I won, I think there was 1200. So maybe there's 1500 people in the room. There was 1200 people in the less than one and 600 in the less than one eye round numbers. Gotcha. So I had a, a three in 600 chance. You could That's say pretty good for odds. the one that I drew, okay. which, which I think is probably one of your yeah. best odds to draw a sheep tag anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. um, they draw a first name on less than one eye dudes there. Awesome. He picks a hunt. Great. 
Oh, so he there's pumped. three hunts and he gets to pick yep. that as well. Okay. Correct. So there was I think that year there was a New Zealand, there was a there's two uh, ibex in Tajikistan, and then there, there was the deal in New Zealand that I can't remember the species, but gotcha. you could so go shoot something a chamois or or a tar or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, gotcha. So they draw second guys there. There's one tag or you know drawing left. They draw it. Can't remember the guy's name. No way. Wasn't you there. You don't want to be that guy. He wasn't there. <laughs> so then they draw another name. And Gray Thornton's up there, and he goes, oh, I know this guy from one of our sponsors in uh, beautiful Sheridan, Wyoming. And all, the, all of a sudden, it's one of, like, six people. It's some, one of the weather so guys. So is your heart racing at this point, or did yeah. it take, like, three seconds for it to click? Or was it, like, immediate, like, Sheridan, that's where I'm from? No, at this point, I'm convinced it's Raleigh Whalen. That's our <laughs> national sales manager because yeah. he has, he is a Wyoming resident his whole life after like tons and tons of years, he shot a bighorn sheep here. And so he was in the less than one eye only. Oh, so cause you, to circle back, so you're not w- sure you when, were in When that. he and I were talking, I just kind of confused myself and I'm just not that smart apparently. But, um, I, yeah, I turned my cell phone on and just start recording Raleigh Whalen and He's like biting his finger as Gray's like drawing it out a little bit, the suspense of it. And he goes, Luke Torkelson, why don't you come on up here? And I'm filming Raleigh and he just looks at me like, it's you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I'm, I'm now it takes me a second and I just kind of put my arms up. I've got a beer. I run up on the stage. I just jump straight up on the stage. I give Gray a hug and yeah, it's surreal, you know, from that because you know, it's a dream of so many hunters to shoot. And it was a, almost a shoot, that. You know, I didn't. I did not know the part where someone was drawn yeah. and was not before, there before. Before, so I it did. was that close. It was that close. Yeah, had that guy been present. Yeah, I don't know. Wow, yeah. that's cool. That's cool. Though. So, yeah. So yeah, it was that was pretty crazy. So they they bring the winner up on the stage and they give you like the big board. It's kind of like the size of our on our mark uh, podcast sign that we've got here. If you're if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're not, it's just I don't know. It's like a, a big, picture, it's like right? a big poster yeah, board yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, like a big like a picture you have in your house. So they hand me this board and an envelope, and I'm pumped. And um, Gray's like, we'll get with the details on it later and whatnot. But you're going with this outfitter and blah 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 blah. So I'm pumped, and so. One of the first people that come to me after I get off the stage, everybody's congr- you know congratulating you. But my buddy Barrett, that I had met the previous year at Wild Sheep, uh, comes up to me and it's like, "Oh, dude, that's awesome! You're gonna love this hunt. Um, I've hunted with this outfitter before. You're gonna have a blast, and it's gonna be awesome. And I'm just so happy for you." I'm like, "Man, that's great!" So um, I end up hunting with Barrett. Uh, so I'll kind of come back to that part of the story later. But um, it 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 worked out great. But tons of people are just you know, congratulating me. And yeah, you're probably I, on cloud so nine at this point. The other part that I didn't even realize at the time is, um, it comes with a lot of other stuff too. It's not just the hunt. Like it's a full gear package. It basically comes with everything except for a flight and a gun, which works out well, good that, for that me. It does cause, work out that cause <laughs> just launched the yeah, ultimate cheap like, rifle. Yeah. Um, loophole put an optics package together, like just full gear, stone glacier pack, Schnee's boots. Like you're kind of like decked out head to toe everything's pretty awesome. Like something that was great just got better. 
Yeah. It's I'm like, like having oh your cake gosh. and eating it yeah. too. <laughs> this is amazing. So I'm on cloud nine. It's great. And just reeling and, you know, texting, calling my wife and family like, oh my gosh, I just want a sheep hunt. And, and my wife's like, yeah, where's, uh, where, where's that? It's like, oh, to Tajikistan. <laughs> <laughs> so when you said that, was there any, I know when sometimes you draw a big tag or something, then now you're like, oh no, this is a huge opportunity. Has, did any of that ever come over with you on the mental side of like, hey, this is a big trip and I need to get ready for it? Um, yeah, a little bit. And plus like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dumb American and uh, like, I kind of know where Tajikistan is, but if I had to like very accurately describe where it was at that time may have been a little tough if I'm being real yeah, honest. They're like, Hey, the only, yeah. only way you get like, this tag, you have to point it out on a map. You probably yeah, be like, like, I'm not sure. It's by the other stands, <laughs> uh, which is accurate, but yeah. yeah. Um, ended up not going into Tajikistan. long story, partly to do with Barrett, but, um, uh, we ended up ultimately going in Kyrgyzstan. So trying to plan the hunt, um, was really difficult because that was January looking at maybe going in the fall and trying to work around some other, some other things that I have that fall. Well, remember like March, yeah, like two <laughs> months later, uh, yeah, COVID came out and nobody knew what to do. And so I'm talking with the outfitter and he's like, man, I don't know. Here's the deal. Like we'll make it happen. So, so the way it works is uh, wild sheep foundation, basically through the raffle sales and whatnot, they pay for the hunt through the outfitter. So there are okay. some that are probably a hundred percent donated. My specific one, uh, wild sheep paid, uh, the outfitter through that, he's like, here's the deal. We'll make it happen. So we'll, we'll figure out when, when we can do it based on, you know, traveling and everything else restriction wise in the world. So 20 goes by. 21 goes by. I tried to go in 21, tried to find somebody to go with, and it was really hard to, to find somebody that wanted to go to Tajikistan in 2021 where there's travel restrictions and airline stuff. People don't know. COVID tests coming back into the States, just a lot of junk that is nobody wanted to deal with. I didn't really want to deal with it either, but I wanted to go on the hunt. So the beginning of this year, 2022, uh, I talked to my friend Barrett, and he's like, Hey man, I've been thinking about, um, going, going over with, uh, with outfitter to, um, maybe shoot a Marco Polo. And I'm like, Whoa, that would be pretty awesome. He's like, what if, what if we both shot an Ibex and then I shoot a Marco Polo? And I'm like, dude, I would be thrilled to death for, at the opportunity to even see a Marco Polo or golly on the hoof up close up close like that would be amazing i was like tell you what barrett like if you are game i'll film it we'll make a little weatherby video which we're going to do um which i've recorded i've filmed the whole thing so but we'll get to this part of the story in a minute um and so we make it happen but talk to the outfitter there's not a great spot that he has access to in tajikistan where he could hunt um good quality Marco Polo and Ibex out of the same camp. It had to be two different camps if you went there. Correct. We'd yeah. have to move. And it's, I mean, it's, that's a substantial yeah, we'll undertaking. Yeah, we'll get to like the, tra- after the travel yeah. the countryside is, was insane. So, so we decided we're going to go to Kyrgyzstan, which you're flying to Kyrgyzstan anyway, typically, if you're going to Tajik. So it, um, that actually was better. Um, and he had a great camp that we could stay at. So that's what we ended up doing. We go to Kyrgyzstan. So, like, how much farther in advance, and when you guys decided to go there, like, 
flights getting booked, hotels getting booked? Like, is that six months no, right away? Um, or No. I mean, we decided we sh- we probably booked flights like a month and a half out. I mean. Okay. So nothing too crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think Barrett and I both, you know, have a lot going on, you know, personally. And so we wanted to make sure there was no last minute conflicts or anything. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we were trying to work it out through the outfitter. I would say he dragged his feet a little bit, um, more, more to come on that. Uh, but yeah, we, we booked it just kind of like you would almost like a vacation. Like you've decided to come, but you don't necessarily book your flights when you decide to go yeah. to Hawaii or Florida or something. You're, you kind of wait for the, you watch the flights and try to get them when they're, you know, well-priced. So hotels really didn't have to book hotels beforehand it was really just a flight that was really the main thing and the gun so flying uh, internationally with firearm you have to get uh, a form that I totally just blinked on the name of but I have it in my pocket so I'm going to pull it out because I still have it in my wallet from going you got to get a form with uh, basically Department of Homeland Security it's a CBP form 4457 and it's super official it literally looks worse than a postcard and uh, it says um, that you have this gun leaving the States, basically. Like, you get this form before you go, and then it allows you to bring that gun back is really what they care about. It proves that you have it beforehand so you can bring it back did into you, the you country. You didn't have to fill out anything to take it into the country? I did country? have to do some stuff to take it into Tajikas or to Kyrgyzstan as well. So you just have to tell them serial number, caliber, and you have to declare, like, the number of rounds that you're bringing, like, to the, to the number. So if you're bringing 27, yeah. you better have 27. In Every country is a little different. Some it's by weight. Like you can't bring more than whatever, 20 kilograms or 40 kilograms. Gotcha. Uh, this is like I said, I'm bringing 60 rounds of 65300. Like that was being very specific. So uh, got there, um, met up with Barrett. And so I had two other guys joined us, Barrett's friend Gabe and um who is a guide and contractor um he guides some in montana i think some in arizona as well and then robert joined as well um he is a deer biologist down in texas he uh he used to work on the king ranch um so he grew oh, cool. really yeah. big deer big deer that guy. was what he did gotcha. <laughs> and they're all going to shoot ibex as well they're just shooting ibex so okay. the four of us are shooting ibex and then uh, Barrett is going to shoot a Marco Polo. That's the plan. So I meet up with everybody in Houston by design, and then we all flew. So my flights looked like um, from Sheridan. I drove up to Billings <coughs> to originate from a Billings International Airport. Billings, big airport. Yeah, real big. <laughs> Went from Billings to Denver, Denver to Houston, met up with the crew, Houston to Istanbul, then Istanbul to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. So, so four flights. Four flights from the time you left your house. How long did it take you to get? I tracked down? it. I wheels down, and I, it, it was almost three days. Three days. Okay. Yeah, yeah almost. Three, it's like two and a half days because like the way the time change the time, and stuff yeah. works. So, gotcha. um, yeah. So everything's great. We get there, and um, they're like, you know what? You need to get into a hotel and rest. We landed at five a.m. local time. And I thought the plan, we all thought the plan was we're going to get in some land cruisers and boogie up to the mountains and, you know, kind of g- cover some ground. It's like, I'll sleep in the car. 
it's like 16 hour drive. Like it's a long way. Yeah. That's quite the trick. long way to get yeah. in the mountains. Well over half that's on like mountain roads, not paved. So we're all kind of dreading that drive, especially after being in planes, trains and automobiles for almost three days. We ended up, we do stay in a hotel. We all tried to fight it, but uh, the U.S.-based outfitter joined us as well because he was going to help Barrett. Um, just like facilitate. Yeah, deal with that yeah, stuff. yeah, exactly. So yeah. he came, um, and he was pretty adamant that we take a night in the hotel just to get adjusted to the time. It'll make the whole experience more enjoyable. Um, we're not going to have a problem getting animals. So we're like, okay, cool. So uh, we do that, spend a day. It's weird. Like, you never know what to do. Like, if you land at 5 a.m., we literally checked into a hotel. I've never done this before. Checked into a hotel at 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually when you're getting ready to check out. Yeah. yeah so I'm gotcha. like, well, this is kind of weird. So I'm exhausted. I don't sleep well on airplanes. Take a nap, a couple hours. We meet up. We go have lunch. Come back. Still tired. Decides to, like, just go to the gym for a little bit just to, like, get some blood flowing, do something. Then yeah, because we- I'm sure you just were cramped in an airplane for yeah. two, th- two three days so yeah and then we meet up uh for dinner um we meet up with saku who's the local actual local guide and outfitter um and he was an awesome guy really hit it off with him um and yeah it had dinner and then we're like decide the next morning they're gonna pick us up at 5 a.m that's what happened we start to hit the road and then um we we made it about four minutes <laughs> so yeah. and then we just start stopping it felt like we were stopping everywhere like we the four hunters we just wanted to get to the mountains we can see the mountains because they're huge Bishkek's at 2,000 feet the elevation's okay. 2,000 feet and we're going to be hunting at like over 12,000 feet and so we can see these massive mountains in the distance and we're like we just want to go there yeah you see like the journey ahead you're yeah. like at the foot of the mountains. Yeah. yeah. And we're just in a town. Like it feels like just kind of being in Asia and, um, we're, we just start stopping like literally every mile and Barrett and I are in separate cars. I ended up in a Land Cruiser with Robert and Barrett will text me. He's like stopping again. I'm like, yep. Number seven, number eight. So we'll stop. Like there's just a bunch of roadside stands, like uh, the bread guy. The, the bread guy, the banana guy, yeah. the potato guy. And, and they just start buying camp food. And I'm thinking to myself, we probably could have done this like yesterday when we were in a <laughs> hotel all day. Uh, but I was just being impatient. I'm trying to like talk myself out of that. And yeah, you're literally on a hunt of a lifetime. You're just like ready yeah, to get going. Yeah. And yeah. we're just all ready to get up the mountain. The U S outfitters on this phone a lot. And we're trying to figure out like this, like who's he even talking to this time of day? Like, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Cause what is the. The time change is going to be, what, like 12, 14 hours difference? Or? Uh, it's exactly 12 from, from mountain time. Okay, so gotcha. So I would call my family at 6 a.m. there, and it would be 6 p.m. here. Okay. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so if you've picked up already, um, I keep saying the U.S. outfitter. I'm, I'm trying to not name him specifically because there's going to be a term for the worse a little later. And um, uh, there was a kind of a bad situation, not, not kind of a bad situation that's coming that we'll talk about. Um, but I don't want to, I, I want to throw him under the bus, but I don't want to throw him under the bus. Does that make sense? That, so. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we do finally get off the, uh, oh, what, sorry. We get to this town at like the last real town. We're going to stop for lunch. We take, I'm not kidding you. We take a three hour lunch. It's, it's like multiple rounds of hot tea. 
it takes forever. The uh, Saku and the, the the drivers need to go run a couple errands. We had to get some like gas canisters uh, for for like jet boils and a couple other things. And I'm like, again, things that maybe could have been done before, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm having a great time. I won this hunt. I've got a great attitude. But the other three guys, I mean, they paid for their hunt, so they're also they're kind of like sweat, they're they're irked. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're all kind of irked. Like this could this could be going a little smoother and. Um, we're still, we're still actually having a good time. You know, I think back in hindsight, like I was impatient and we were, but we're still like, it's a gorgeous drive. We had passed a wild herd of camels, like just, they were just doing their just, thing. Just doing their thing. We still, we're, it was really neat. So, um, we see a lot of the countryside. So we leave this, uh, the last town and we just start heading up the mountain at this point. Like we get off the pavement, we're on dirt and we're just driving and we're just driving and it gets more and more and more remote. The road gets worse and worse and worse. And um, all of a sudden it's getting near dark. And I, I don't have a frame of reference on how much further to camp <laughs> it is or isn't. I was told it's about a 16 hour drive, but I'm like, is that with or without the 42 stops? So the drivers of the Land Cruisers, no one spoke English. The only English speaking local guy was Saku and I was not in his car. And so I'm getting no real information. So it was information. just you and the other guy who paid for an Don't, e- don't two, even yeah. know the driver's yeah. name. Just um, local driver. <laughs> local driver. So you guys are now driving for 12, 14 hours, and you're just... One time, the only English word that he said to me was toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Universal language. Yeah, there. everybody yeah. knows that one. So yeah. uh, they, they pull off, and... Um, Barrett comes up to the window of our Land Cruiser and he's like, apparently we're camping here. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? He's, he's not super happy. We decide to camp on the side of the road because it's almost dark and the last four hours apparently of the drive that we have left to go are really rough. We're like, guys, let's just push on. They're like, nope, we're staying here. So we end up camping there and um, it, was, it was gorgeous. It actually rained quite a bit that night, which kind of stunk, but... Um, we packed up wet things and then, um, like you were in tents and stuff. Yeah. Like, like literally tents just that you brought tents. or just that they the had. drivers literally slept in the land cruisers, like, like just in the driver's seat, <laughs> like just re- re- recline the seat, <laughs> slept in there. Uh, Saku had like a big, like, like not quite wall tent, but almost a wall tent. And then I just, I brought a little like stone, gra- stone glacier ultralight and just slept in that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we leave the next morning, we drive four more hours then that last four hours in hindsight i am very glad that we waited as we were talking though like we could have got there before dark with the four hours had we not made all the stops anyway we get there and the lodge is amazing like i don't understand how they put this nice of a lodge this remote like Like, with electricity and everything or yeah generators ran on ran on diesel generators uh huge huge like enormous snooker table like the size of this room like it was so big like can't make a ball to save your life it's like little narrow pockets and it was just yeah really 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 nice lodge sauna like a sauna too nice, wow you're in a nice spa, lodge. spa treat yeah it's legit like really nice wood the amount of work that somebody put into getting that place built i can't even fathom so remote it's at like 12 and you were not feet. expecting that like you had not seen any pictures of a, of a lodge or anything like that we, before we climbed up this mountain pass 
we got to 12,000 feet. And then usually we do that in the States. Like you're there for a few minutes, maybe if you're driving and then you, you drop off the other side. If you're like in the, the Rockies, the San Juans, big horns, you can get up that high almost. And then you drop off immediately. We drove at 12,000 plus feet for like six hours, just, wow. just forever. Um, and it's slow going mountain roads. So they, they, somebody hauled all the building materials up these roads to get in there. It's crazy. So we get there at a little after lunchtime, like one o'clock and they're like, make yourselves comfortable. We'll go shoot rifles, make sure everybody's dialed. Then we'll go hunt tomorrow. So we're like, okay, we, we're good with that. The, the goal is in sight yeah. it, from the time I left my house. To the time we got to that lodge, I started my watch. It was 93 hours. So haven't quite the trek. really done anything except travel. It's like hurry up and wait for, that entire yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're going through airports, and you're just sitting and waiting and waiting for the next boarding. And Yeah, so 93 hours to get there. Um, I get my gun out. I'm shooting a 6.5-300 um, with a hammer bullet. Um, a 129 hammer. We don't offer that yet, but it should be coming soon. Really happy with it. Um, I had no issues whatsoever. It was like I didn't adjust anything. Just dead on. Yeah, I was using a, a, the Leica GeoVid range finding, the GeoVid Pros, the range, range finding binos, and it takes into account like uh, atmosphere. So I was dead on at three when I left, and I went out there. I was still dead on at three, and then I picked a rock that was, like, vital size that I forget. It was, like, 704 yards or something like that and dialed, and at 12,000 feet, it was, like, I hit it, like, right li- literally, like, if I was aiming at a quarter, I hit the center of the quarter. I'm not kidding. It was, like, so spot on. I was like, okay. That, feel, that probably was, like, confidence. Oh, through confidence the through the roof. A couple, uh, I think Robert um, made a small adjustment. Gabe made a lot of adjustments to his rifle. And they're kind of like, I could see they were a little frustrated. Um, he, he got dialed, but like, mm-hmm. you know, stuff happens when you're traveling that far. We've just ridden forever in a car, so many planes and hard cases getting thrown around. So I was pumped. I, I didn't change anything. Just, I was solid. So felt really good going in. The next morning, we take off on horseback, uh, and they bring out very, very tiny horses. They're like so small, <laughs> you know. We see these big U.S. quarter horses. Yeah, and, that are. I know. don't know horses, but I feel yeah. like fourteen, fifteen hands. Those are the that's the. Yeah, the, yeah. we've yeah. got like big horses here in the states. They don't have that there. They've got these tiny little mountain horses that are like crazy sure-footed. Barrett's six six, big big <laughs> dude. It's um, kind of like a big guy on a little horse. Yeah, situation. big dude, crazy fit guy, like six yeah. six. Two, I don't know, two hundred thirty pounds, not an ounce of fat. And it almost looks like he can like stand over his horse, like on a, like it's a motorcycle, you know, like he could put almost both feet down. It's not quite that bad, but it, it almost, it's kind of looked like that. Um, we just take off riding. Um, we ride about six miles away from camp. And then we just head up this, I don't know what to call it other than like a canyon. It's not quite a canyon, more of like a draw, or if you're from Montana, a coulee. A coulee. <laughs> <laughs> so we head up this coulee and, um, 
we just keep going up and up until like we can't really go anymore on horses. And we've already, when you guys got there, were you glassing at all? Or just like, as soon as you got there, you're like, okay, let's go to this next spot. Like there. No, because we were a day behind the actual like local guides were at camp before us and they had gone out the day before, um, just looking for a game for us. And so they had an idea of where they had seen some before. And so we're just headed for that spot. And so we, we basically get to that spot and then um, we go peek over this ridge and we're like, yeah, there's Ibex there and some good ones. And they're a ways off. So we drop back down and they're like, we're going to have lunch. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like lunch. We're like, yeah, there's they, those Ibex is what they do. They have no reason to go anywhere. It's the, it's like lunchtime, basically. It's the middle of the day. They're going nowhere. There's That's what they do is just loaf around in the shade. In the, like we think it's cool right now, but they think it's hot. So you're gonna need the fuel for later. Just let's eat a little lunch. So we do that, and I'm still like, we've been just taking breaks for no reason for days. At, at this point, you're like, I'm gaining weight on this trip. Yeah, no, no <laughs> doubt. So we have some lunch, we have some tea, we talk a little. Uh, it felt surreal because the scenery is just absolutely beautiful. Like we're looking out, we're at like 12,500 feet right now looking out at mountains that look bigger than the bighorns do from here. And so like we're at 4,000, the bighorns are 13 something. And I'm like, okay, if we're at 12, five, like I'm looking on, on, uh, the Garmin, I'm like, those peaks are over 20,000 feet that are around yeah. us. Like, this wow. is pretty rad. There's glaciers. It's so beautiful. So we put a plan together. We peek, we peek over this ridge we find like a bench that we can kind of follow where they won't see us and it'll put us on a ridge where we should be able to just like crawl over and like lay down prone and should be able to get a shot off. And so that's exactly what we do. It was maybe not quite an hour of hiking to, to close that distance because they're, they're a mile away or so where we, where we saw them. And, uh, so we hike over and immediately they're like, there's two good Ibex. There's two very good Ibex. And, so like, you have two guides or one guide? Um, Saku is with us. Oh, Saku was thankfully with you. okay. <laughs> the other two guys, zero English whatsoever. Like grew up in the mountains there. Like I'm not kidding you. They were like I don't know what the boots are called that you wear on a crabbing boat, but that's what they're wearing. <laughs> okay. Like they look like a sweat. Bike. It's a rubber boot, and they're running up and down the mountain, like running circles around us, like no problem, and while smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So uh, they're like, you guys need to do, uh, you need to shoot both of these, like a one, two, three shoot situation. And we're like, hold on, let's <laughs> let's back this train up because we're looking across this canyon. It's the one I decided I really liked is uh, 454 yards away, and the one that Barrett's like, if I get an opportunity, I would shoot that one, and it was 499, and they're amongst lots of other ibex that are laying around and so it's not like you just pick one giant ibex out of a herd because they all look somewhat similar like it's a bachelor group of a bunch of ibex and so we're trying to like dial in on exactly which one it is and if you look away and look back you're like oh crap. which one is it which yeah. one was it so do you did you have like a spotter or anything to I be did. able to like confirm i did have a spotter on a camera because i'm trying to film the whole thing so the oh, whole yeah. time i'm like kind of running a camera off and on so i set up uh uh we've got a a swaro spotter that we can hook up a camera body to so i i'm on it and i'm 
but I'm so tight on it. When I look at it with my naked eye, I'm like, it's kind of hard to say exactly which one this is. So I'm trying to zoom out and make sure I'm in focus and I'm looking at it and I try to set it. And I'm like, did it lay down just now? And they're like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, this one stand it's I don't I'm confused like so we're trying to be really certain because we've heard a lot of other people that went tell us like you need to understand the difference between centimeters and inches because they'll tell you 140 centimeters and that might mean 46 inches I'm like okay that's good to know so I've done some conversions in my head already I'm ready for that and we we finally settle on what the right ibex to shoot is and Barrett's the same and they're adamant on this one two three shoot situation the downside to this is that the one that Barrett's, Barrett likes is literally butt facing directly toward him. And he's like, I just, I'm not doing one, two, three, shoot. I'm like, I know, this is dumb. He's like, you shoot first. Because if Barrett had shot first and I didn't shoot, I, did, I didn't want him to feel pressure then of to go on his Marco Polo hunt and me not film it or, yeah. or without me filming it. So we had decided I would shoot first and then I'd focus on filming the rest of the hunt. So I shoot or I get ready. Barrett says, you just shoot when you're ready. And I say, ready when you are. And he's like, go. And the second he said, go, I touched it off. And, um, I was able to see my, my Ibex didn't take a step, just instant off switch. It was a good shot. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it was, it, there was nothing. It, n n yeah. Gun, the, everything did its job. It just instant off and it rolled like twice on this little cliff it was on and then just stopped. Every other Ibex just took off scattering. Some went down, some went up, some went left, some went right, except for the one that Barrett was on. <laughs> it stood up. It's like it just kind of looked around, and we didn't think that that's the way it would happen, but it just stood there, turned broadside to Barrett, and he sent one with – he was shooting a 300 Weatherby, and instant drop. Drop. Up. Well, yeah. that's not true. He ended up putting a second – he didn't need it. It was standing dead. Um, but he put a second one in it just because they're in crazy country and we didn't want it to die somewhere yeah, weird. Yeah, so. you didn't want it to take that death roll that's going to be like yeah. cliffs cliffs away. Yeah, so he he gave it a second shot that hindsight proved wasn't needed, but that one that one dropped it right away. So then we just take the trek over there. We're, we're pumped, and um, we, we take a moment um, over there. Um, uh, Barrett and I are both... Uh, Christians we kind of pray over there and then Saku comes over and um, he's like man thank you guys thank you guys for coming out here because people like you do things like this my kids can smile and my kids have food and like we had this moment Saku tells us that he's a Protestant Christian which is really weird for over there because it's like a Muslim country yeah wow. and uh, we just really had an awesome 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 moment on the side of the mountain and we do all our pictures and all that stuff and get the get the capes off we took every ounce of that meat that you could take like the local guys i couldn't believe how much meat they took off of there because it's ibex it's not like known for being awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh we we then um we start heading back so well you're, you're loading so, up in packs at yeah this point? so i gotta i gotta yeah. back up because yeah. it's getting ahead of myself so that's why you're here. Thank you for keeping me on, ta on, tr on track here. So as we hiked over the 500 or so yards to where our animals were, which was like a lot more than 500 yards because it wasn't, yeah, we couldn't like walk the, the straight line. Yeah. One of the guides went with us 
Saku went with us, and then one went back to get the horses. So he went all the way back and then went way down and around with the horses and came up a whole nother coolie, <laughs> basically, coolie. Yeah. To, to come to where he could get to where the Ibex were. Oh, so he was able to get horses yeah. all the way to you. Okay. Yeah, and he basically got there the same time we did. I don't know how that was physically <laughs> possible. He's probably like, you didn't see him, but he's probably sprinting down the hill. I, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, so he just, like, hooked all the horses up in a gang and then just pulled them. Yeah. So we, t- we took our pictures where the, the Ibex uh, died, and then we essentially rolled them down a quite a ways to where it was flat enough that we could kind of process field process yeah. them and um, get the horses to, and that was several hundred yards below. So interesting here. You said they took everything. Did they take any organs, or is there anything there that they I didn't, liked? I or? didn't see them take organs, but, okay. I mean, I they, they literally, like, like, intricately cut out around every rib. They took yeah. the whole racks of ribs – like huh. all the meat was taken. They took some neck meat. Yeah. I mean, so. And then give us like a perspective of how big these, because I've never seen an Ibex. Like how is this like, can you compare it? Is it like a white tail or how big is this? I would say that um, I shot an 11 and a half year old Ibex. You can, you can count the growth rings like you can on a sheep, like same on a goat. Um, it's 11 and a half years old, 46 inches long. And the body on mine was enormous. It was like big. it was okay. like a big mule deer buck. Like really, but, see, I'm but, like picturing but, a goat. But, yeah. but I would say body, like girth wise, that's what it was. Like but thick. but but short legs, like not the height necessarily of of a mule deer, and probably a little less short. But width wise, and just like overall, like cross section, it was pretty meaty. Pretty yeah. meaty. Yeah. yeah, Barrett's was uh, a little younger. Um, couple years younger and 40 like 43 inches so not substantially smaller but his he joked he goes dude your ibex looks like it could have eaten my ibex (laughs) (laughs) it was so big we ended up eating them um eating some not that good not that good not that good how do they cook it just over the fire or no they try to do it was like like a a kind of a stew you know because i think even stewed like cooked wet cooking method Long yeah. and slow, crazy tough. Really, okay. the flavor flavor yeah. wasn't bad. What did they throw in there? Like potatoes, okay. carrots, okay. onions, like typical guess, yeah. like gotcha. stew. Like if we're gonna, you yeah. know, make a stew, it was like that, but ibex. Nice. Okay. And it wasn't great. So um, we then start riding back uh, after we do all the stuff. We start riding back. Barrett and I are like, we're talking. We're like, dude, this is awesome. Now we're gonna go look for Marco Polo, which we have to go a lot higher because the Marco Polo are going to hang out on glaciers to get away from bugs. So we're, we're thrilled that this is going to go down. And uh, we get back to camp. The U.S. Outfitter's there. He's talking about how great our Ibex are. And then he's like, yeah, you guys need a rest day tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, oh, my gosh. You know what we don't need is a rest day. Like, we're on cloud nine. We're both in pretty good shape. Like, let's roll. And he's like, no, really, really, really need a rest day. So um, we're we're not that pumped about the rest day. And so we've kind of become, we had a moment with Saku on the mountain. So we're like, let's just go talk to Saku in the morning. We'll yeah, pack our stuff. We're, we've got this. We've we got, got vibes with him. We're, yeah. yeah, we're bonded. It's all yeah. good. So we talked to Saku, and he's like, you need to go talk to the U.S. outfitter, and we'll uh, – We'll figure that out. So he doesn't, he's still adamant that we need to take a rest day. We talked to Saku again, and Saku's like, 
here's the deal. A U.S. outfitter has not paid for the Marco Polo hunt. And Barrett's like, well, that's not that's not possible because I I paid for for the Marco Polo hunt. <laughs> and then he's like, you're not. That may be true, but I have not been paid. Correct. And he's like, yeah. and we cannot legally go do this because you don't have a Marco Polo tag at this point. And we didn't exactly we like they didn't issue us an IBEX tag like it, it's different over yeah, it's there. Like a, it, it's I'm not sure like it's like a quota. They have some kind of the outfitter has so many allotment. I'm sure the yeah. the native language um, in Kyrgyzstan is Russian. So like even the alphabet is weird. So yeah. you can't even just like look at it and read it. But we had paperwork in Russian <laughs> <laughs> with their names on it and stuff. And like it was legit for IBEX, but there was no Marco polo license and nobody told us that until this moment and immediately i'm like oh that's why we've been going so slow that's why we've been delaying every step of the way because the u.s outfitter is trying to get the money for this hunt he came i i believe that he wanted he he didn't think that he was gonna stiff bear it from the beginning he, he was there otherwise he would have just not shown up so we get a bunch of far-fetched stories about why the money's not there. And um, long story short, the money's just not there. And we realize it. The other guys start coming back to camp. Uh, and they were successful? Robert shot an Ibex uh, the first day out as well. But he was, he was far enough away they spent the night out there because uh, they were going to start riding back in the dark. And I, I didn't, like, talk that much about the terrain that we rode the horses through. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Man from Snowy River, like that epic scene where he's like riding, chasing the Brumbies down <laughs> the crazy steep mountain. Like that was kids play, man. Like it was, we were riding up and down things that I didn't think were possible. Like side hilling scree fields on horses. Did the horses know the deal too though? Or were they just like, yep, they were fine. They were yeah. fine. There were two times that, um, I was like, I am not good with this. And, like, I'm kind of a adrenaline junkie. Yeah, you, yeah, okay. I ride motorcycles a lot, like, and not just, like, street bikes. Like, I ride dirt bikes, like, hard enduro, like, like, like real stuff. And I'm, and I'm like, I don't think that this is safe. And I got a little bit of footage of Barrett and his horse, like, really stumbling going up this hill. And I say to the guy, I'm like, kind of like no I'm not doing this <laughs> like do the international like hand across the neck and they kind of look up and like yeah we all everybody walk yeah he like, <laughs> he like yeah. yeah it it just got really steep so yeah. we, we we walked up this portion but um so robert was had the same experience like this is unbelievable the stuff we're riding horses across and uh, i'm not doing that in the dark so he basically forced them into staying the night out there came back the next morning gabe was actually archery hunting oh wow for ibex and he actually had some close encounters uh he ended up switching to a rifle on day two and the day that we kind of figure out that this marco polo thing is not going to plan um he comes back that afternoon um successful on shooting with his rifle but these guys are coming back into camp and they're like why are you here why aren't you shooting marco polo and then uh it's like that awkward, like, uh. That awkward, like, well, we're going to have to tell them what's going on here with the outfitter who's here with us in, like, literally in camp with us. Kind of acting like nothing's wrong. 
I mean, he's acting a little bit like something's wrong at this point. Um, yeah. He's become very sparse. But what we realized is, um, and I may have people reach out to me after this podcast um, that you may you, you may have done some homework and know who the outfitter is, and I'm, I think that's okay. Um, I I'm encourage you to reach out to us on our mark uh, at weatherby.com. We've got an email set up for this podcast, and I'll try to reach back out to you with info. Um, but uh, let's just say that the money's gone. The money's gone. I think COVID was really bad for this outfitter. I think he made some poor, poor life decisions. I think he potentially spent this money in other places thinking that he could get it back and um, it didn't come through. So we've, we realized that he's basically dialing for dollars. Every time we stopped, he's calling somebody trying to get another deposit or get some more hunt money. And uh, that was, that was really hard, really, really hard to realize <clears throat> while we're in this beautiful place. We saw a herd of, of uh, ewes and lamb, Marco Polo, on our way to hunt ibex the the bachelor they hang up high but the the moms and kids will stay down low and um it was like we were so pumped to go hunt marco polo and to be like that close. that close and i i felt so bad for barrett i mean he had i mean there's a lot of money on the line for this hunt a lot and he was friends with this guy and i don't think this guy ever started off to go down this path of of basically it's a felony of being a criminal and making these poor life decisions. But for whatever reason, that's where he ended up. And Barrett's like, Hey man, we can't, we can't stay here. Like, what are we going to do? Stay here with like no service. Yeah. I got to figure out what's going on here. There was some Wi-Fi at the lodge. Like you could kind of text from it. You couldn't even really get a Wi-Fi call seems out. seems kind of crazy that there's Wi-Fi in this cra- it, crazy Yeah, I mean, it was place. super nice lodge, but I don't know if it was Starlink. I don't know what it was, but it, <laughs> it only kind of worked, so I don't think it was Starlink. I heard the Starlink's pretty fast, but um, Barrett's like, guys, we got to go. Uh, I'll pay for hotels in, in Bishkek until we can get flights changed, but if I stay under the same roof as this guy that just stole this much money from me, like – I, I I might do something bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so we all feel for him and none of us want to be there anymore because we just went from this like crazy high, high. And then we came down pretty low. So, uh, we get in land cruisers. We talked to Saku and we're like, Satu, Saku, can we just like make this a one day drive this time? Instead of like camping on the side of the road somewhere. So we make it back in one day, 16 hours or so. And uh, we get back to a hotel, start like, trying to change flights which proved impossible couldn't change flights so we stay in a hotel in Bishkek for about a week while we wait for our original flight date to come up and all the while we're getting back with people stateside working with police trying to figure out what Barrett's options are does he ever see his money again what does this look like and uh it's tough we're we're calling people that we know have hunts booked with this outfitter trying to like warn them robert had hunted with this outfitter before had had a great experience um was his second time had recommended him to other people started calling them immediately so yeah, he's like telling all his yeah buddies he's like and his friends uh, and guys i'm so yeah. sorry i had no idea and yeah it just was 
it turned into a massive nightmare really, really fast, really, really fast. So I learned, I learned an interesting thing about, I guess, an, an, an international hunt. Uh, so typically like if you book with an outfitter in the U S like you're like here in Wyoming, if you book, we've had some on this podcast, if you book with them, they're typically there. If not, you're with one of their guides, but they're an employee of that person. And so like, it's all pretty transparent. It's pretty simple. Internationally, it's not the same. It's not like the outfitter that we are going through is the one that is hiring the guides and doing the guiding. He's basically like a broker. So he is working with an outfitter in Kyrgyzstan to then basically pay for our hunt. And then he's, yeah, he's kind of just, he's the middleman. He's managing all of the, you know, more of the travel, more of the documentation, more of getting you to like almost like a travel agent in the sense that they're getting you there. So if you're going to go on a international hunt like this and you book through a U.S. let's just say broker, I don't really care what they say, the U.S. broker, because a lot of times they'll want to protect the international guy to prevent you from booking direct with them. But at this point, you've already booked a hunt with them. You're on the hook. You're probably giving them a deposit. Um, you need to, need to, need to, need to get in touch with whoever the actual provider of the hunt is on the international side. Contact them and just verify that everything is good. Um, I would do that. Like, but once your hunt has been paid for, like most of these guys had fully paid for the hunts for like months, like well before we booked the flights. Before booking a flight, you should at least verify, hey, you know we're coming. All this is kosher. Like, this is good. And if it's all been paid for, before you get on your plane to leave, you need to get back in touch with them and say, is everything good? Had we done that, Saku would have told us not to come at all. Because when we left, our IBEX had not yet even been paid for. We found out from Saku. It just happened over the time of you getting there. Correct. And all that time in between. Correct. Of getting to the mountain. He cut yeah. it way, 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 way down to the wire. And Saku wanted to get in touch with us, but didn't know how to because the U.S. outfitter was also blocking uh, us from the Kyrgyzstan outfitter. So it was yeah, just just kind of a wreck. So we went from the super high high to like really, really, really low. low. Like like killing a you know bucket absolute bucket list species to having tens of thousands of dollars stolen from you in like twelve hours. Yeah. And it just happened like that. And then that. you have to sit you can't just go home, see your family, you can't do any of that. You're there no. for a whole nother week. Yeah. And then you know, a country you're not familiar with. Correct. It was pretty crazy. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my story. That's your story. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. It's pretty wild. That is a wild story. Uh, yeah. So, nonetheless, I still had a great time. Barrett says he still had a great time because he's an awesome dude and has a great attitude. But, um, yeah, I feel so bad for him, and I'm trying to do everything I can to help him. Um, even through this podcast that, um, if somebody can learn a little about how, how to maybe do international hunting, just, just a little different or a little better. Make sure you're asking questions. Man, yeah. Yeah. You, you gotta know what's going on. And I think if you're paying that much money for a hunt, it's okay to ask, Hey, have you paid, have you paid the local people? 
before my arrival? And can you prove it? And can you put me in touch with them? Because so I can verify, because I know this guy that works at Weatherby. <laughs> and this is <laughs> the, what happened to the, him. The, this yeah. is what happened to him. And uh, it's, it's, it's bad. So I am super, super grateful, even though I had kind of a weird experience. I got my Ibex of a lifetime. And the only reason I was able to do a trip like this was because of Wild Sheep Foundation and the Less Than One Eye Club. And uh, I've already talked to Gray and kind of told him, you know, the whole story. Uh, they're aware. Um, Wild Sheep sent out an email, email recently. Yep. About, I did see an email about, about this outfitter. So um, that'll really put the pieces of the puzzle together. So <laughs> if you made it almost an hour into this deal, you, you probably know who we're talking about now. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty crazy deal. Yeah, and then maybe just to kind of wrap this up, get involved with Wild Sheep Foundation. They do a great job. Um, I, I know that I'm a member. I've never yeah. drawn anything. I'm hoping to get out of that club or, and get as lucky as you one day, but, uh, no, they do some incredible work. Your um, odds are good at less your, than one. Your odds are good. I'm excited to get to go to my sh first sheep show this year. Yeah. So. Do get involved, get, yeah. get, uh, look up wild sheep, um, and join, become a member. Um, their mission is to put and keep wild sheep on the mountain and they are a species that definitely need help uh, with all the domestic sheep that graze um, it, sadly especially bighorns they're just not super resilient yeah they don't animals. do uh, that scabbies and stuff like that yeah they know? get they get they get that domestic uh, illness that like a lot it, of that is most all domestic sheep have it and it doesn't seem to affect them yeah. it's weird and then it really affects bighorn sheep poorly so a lot of the money that they use is 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 habitat protection um, making sure that, um, and it, it's balanced, right. Of, of ranching, farming and wild animals. And they kind of help the overlap of all of that and they do a good job of it. So do get involved. Um, and if you can make it to sheep week or sheep show, it's a great place to win a sheep hunt. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've talked to gray, uh, like I said about this and I, I, I don't blame wild sheep foundation at all uh, for what happened poorly on the hunt. It's one guy that d made some really poor decisions outside of j anything else. He just did, did a bad thing. And, uh, it's unfortunate. I hope that he's able to recover. I think he's got a lot of ground to gain. I hope that he can get some people's money back. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that'll happen. Yeah. So, yeah, Tyler, thanks for listening to my story. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I'm uh, excited maybe one day to be on the Sheep Mountain. So Cool.